Hello Bulls fans and welcome to another episode of Bulls HQ. Thank you for joining me again this week as we take you through the latest news, analysis and game action surrounding our Chicago Bulls who, again this week, can't help themselves but to make the off-court drama a bigger story than what is actually going on the court. So, you all know what I'm referring to here. This team is a complete shit show at the moment and it is because of what's happening off the court. I guess it's it's indirectly related to what happened on it. And I'm obviously referring to the epic loss that the Bulls sustained against the Boston Celtics on Saturday night. The worst loss in franchise history, a 56-point drubbing to the hands of the Celtics. An absolute disaster on the court, which has led to quite a few things happening off the court. And uh, we're going to get through it all now on the podcast. So just me today, I'm going to give you my thoughts. But first, we should go back and sort of just recount what has sort of gone on in the last 24 hours or so. But... Like I said before, it all started in the Celtics game where the Bulls were getting handedly beaten by the Boston Celtics. They were down 0-17 to to open the game. The Bulls couldn't hit a shot after the night before where they had an impressive win against the Thunder. They were very lethargic coming out, couldn't buy a basket, down 0-17. to And Boylan at that point, new Bulls coach Jim Boylan, effectively decided to make a big sweeping change, which was... Bringing in a five-man sub, which I guess is okay to do in that situation, given the Bulls hadn't come out strong and hadn't necessarily responded after a very good win the night before. So that was fine. You can live with that decision. And I guess the Bulls ultimately found themselves down by 21 points at the half, given that, that they opened the game with such a poor showing in that first little bit of the first quarter. But where things really started to get a little bit crazy is the fact that the Bulls down 23 points in the opening stages of the third quarter. Only three minutes into the third quarter, even. Trailing 5-3 to three in that quarter. Jim Boylan again decided to make one of those hockey-type substitutions where he took all his five starters out and brought in five bench guys. And that's what's really set this whole thing alight. From there, the Bulls would go down from being 23 points down to 56 points. Against the Boston Celtics team who's been rounding into form on offense and one of the best defensive teams in the league. I'm not sure what Boylan was thinking by making this substitution, but I guess he was trying to send a message to his team that their level of play wasn't acceptable, I guess. I'm assuming that's what he was trying to do. And we learned after the game that his whole reasoning was he wanted to rest his starters because they were going to have a, a, a big and long practice after the game. Hence why he wanted to put them on the bench and get their rest then because they were going to go through a grueling session the next day despite being on a back-to-back and having a game the day after. Boylan obviously opted to send a message to his team and in doing so, pretty much embarrassed his guys. And and whilst it looked like an odd decision at the time, I guess what's transpired over the last 12 to 24 hours has really wrapped things up here. So after getting destroyed by the Boston Celtics, the Bulls were going to be having a practice the next day. And like I said before, after a back-to-back and a day before their next game against the Sacramento Kings. So they were going to squeeze in an extra practice session there, I guess, to make up for all their faults that they had in that Boston game. And Boylan had made it pretty clear, obviously to the players through his actions, but also to the media through his words, that there would be a practice happening the day after the game itself. But For whatever reason, that practice didn't necessarily materialize and we've come to learn that the players themselves basically went to Boylan and said that they don't want to have a practice session, they don't feel it's right to do a practice session here, it should be more of a film session and more than that, what it should be is a players only meeting, hashing things out as to where they feel 
this team is currently situated, as well as inviting the coaches in afterwards to sort of talk through what has been going wrong. And that's effectively what happened. So the practice or the planned practice moved away from it being some grueling two and a half hour type session that Boylan was going to necessarily have his team running up and down and getting them to do suicides, improving their conditioning, all that sort of crap that he's been mentioning over the last few days. That quickly turned from that into an honesty session of sorts. And we've come to learn that the players asked Boylan and the coaching staff to reconsider having the practice and to make it more of an honesty session, which is obviously what transpired in the end. But as the day sort of progressed and more reporting was done on the matter, it became quite clear that there was a lot more meat to this story than what we initially had thought. And basically what I'm referring to here is the fact that the players were potentially planning a mutiny here against Jim Jim Boylan in a group text that had considered maybe not even turning up to practice today, which would have been an absolute disaster for everyone involved, particularly Jim Boylan. Having only coached the team for four games and the team's already skipping out on him, that would have been quite a bad look for for him obviously a terrible look for the players and and beyond that even for management as well given that they've just fired Fred Hoiberg and installed Jim Boylan as the coach someone who is meant to be here to drive the spirit and the passion of the team trying to drive that competitive edge and all of a sudden he has his team walking out of him that would have been a complete disaster but that didn't materialize but it was floated around by the players but cooler heads did prevail and it would appear Robin Lopez and Larry Markinen were the two voices that talked the bulls off the ledge in that sense. So a full-on mutiny was avoided in this case, but we got pretty damn close, which is pretty damn crazy to think about, but given that we've only <laughs> abruptly a week ago, Fred Hoiberg was fired, which is truly insane. Typically, when a coach is fired, there's a little bit of a bump in the in the uh, locker room. For whatever reasons, players sort of galvanize around that potential firing, and they come out and play a little bit harder. And that's what we initially saw in that Indiana Pacers game, which was Boylan's first game as coach. We saw this Bulls team going out there playing a lot harder. They didn't get the win in that game, but they looked a little bit different. They were trying a lot harder. And we even saw that, obviously, in the Thunder game, where the Bulls had a pretty damn impressive win there, winning 114 to 112 against the Thunder. But for whatever reason, the next night, things completely changed. And something happened in Jim Boylan, where he's obviously gone out here and tried to set a message, tried to set the tone, trying to establish some sort of Spurs-like culture. But in the process, he's pretty much ostracized himself from his team. And I'm not sure if I've ever seen an interim coach ever lose his team so quickly, which is, I'm assuming, what is going to happen here, given that we're only a week into his coaching career as Bulls head coach, and his team is already planning a mutiny against him. It's it's absolutely bizarre that this whole thing has transpired the way it has, but I'm not sure in this case who to blame, whether it's Boylan himself or maybe even management who have sort of come in here and basically tasked Boylan with the, with the job of being the hard taskmaster after Fred Hoiberg was this too lax of a coach who was obviously as per John Paxson, allowing bad habits to creep in and not having this team playing with an intensity or an impassioned level that John Paxson obviously agreed to. So I'm not sure if it's all on Boylan or a combination of management as well, but it appears management are on Boylan's side here given that they were part of the coaches' session here with the players in this private meeting that the team had today, obviously supporting Boylan in this case. So It's been a crazy, crazy development here, given that we're only a week removed from Fred Hoiberg being fired, who each passing day is looking more and more credible as an NBA coach, given the shambolic nature of what is going on with his team at the moment. So if there's anyone that has come out of this looking good at the moment, 
It's probably Fred Hoiberg. He wasn't obviously involved in that 56-point loss. And given how things have transpired here, particularly within the locker room, and he was one of the reasons why he was canned was the locker room sort of failing him. Or Allegedly, he was losing the, the locker room, which we've sort of come to learn may have not been true anyway. Boy, does he look a lot better in this situation than what the current coach and its players look at the moment. But there's so much really to go through here, and I honestly don't even know where to start. And I guess we can start with the fact that Boylan was planning this whole thing along in terms of having this grueling training session after a back-to-back slate of games and with a game coming up the next day. And just, just I, I know there's going to be some fans out there that see the players reacting to the coach and thinking they're being soft in this instance. But there was a, there was a tweet that went around today from Fred Katz, who co- covers the uh, Washington Wizards. And he basically pointed out that how rare it is to hold a training session or a practice after a slate of back-to-back games and a day before you happen to have another game. And this is coming after Boylan had two practices last week with the team as well. So almost every day, this team is either playing a game or practicing under Boylan. So the fact that he wanted to have a practice the day after two tough back-to-back games, I have no idea why he wanted to do that in the first instance. But Today, in the media scrums, after this whole thing sort of played out, Boylan justified his decision by saying he never really actually wanted to have a full-on training session. Instead, he was trying to build trust by the team by, for whatever reason, saying that they were going to have this tough, grueling practice. And then when they arrived, he was actually going to flip the switch and say, no, it was just going to be a film session. Apparently, somehow, lying to your team is is a good way to go about building trust among the among the group. And that was just one of the odd comments that Boylan had today, and it's just one of the few in a long list of weird comments that he's had since coming on board as coach. I've, I've had some concerns about some of the comments he's made about how he wants to play, how he wants to get back to basics, how he wants to apply a road dog mentality, and how he wants to really slow down the game for this young, inexperienced Bulls team, how he wants them to really run their offensive sets and have defenses set against them, which to me makes absolutely no sense given that the the players on this roster are turnover prone. They're not experienced in running an offense and aren't necessarily the smartest players going around. Getting bogged down in a half-court offense kind of seems silly to me, but I was prepared to ignore those schematic differences that I had in his sort of coaching philosophy. And given that this roster was better suited to playing up and down basketball, I was prepared to give him a chance as to how the things would sort of play out on the court and, and maybe he was just post-game speaking out of turn, maybe making some rah-rah comment type things. But whilst I was prepared to give Boylan that benefit of the doubt, these last couple of days he's completely lost me here with the way he's sort of managing the egos of this team. And I understand that he's trying to install some sort of Spurs-like culture here, but there's no way that a modern player in the NBA is going to respond by being benched three minutes into the third quarter, and being sent a message the way Boylan was trying to do to his starters here. That's not the way you connect and communicate with these players. And and Boylan doesn't really have the excuse of not knowing these players, not knowing what makes them tick, not knowing how to communicate with these guys. He's been the associate head coach here in Chicago for quite a number of years under Hoiberg. So he should know how to connect to these players. But for whatever reason, he's lost them pretty much immediately, which is in itself, quite amazing to think about. And like I said earlier, what I don't understand is how we got here, given the great win that the Bulls had against the Thunder only 24 hours before the Boston game. Obviously, this is a rebuilding situation, so we could expect maybe 
a bad loss to sort of come every now and then. Even being down 21 points to a good team like the Boston Celtics, that's not completely unheard of. So I don't understand why Boylan opted to go with this strategy and I just don't think we needed to be here. I think it was a better managed situation. The Boylan could have, could have still sent a message to his team, be it at halftime or post-game, but it's still not embarrassing his players the way he went about it. And an example of what I'm really referring to here is if he's got issues with how it's being done, maybe it's one player, maybe it's two players that are not necessarily executing what he wants, then just sub out one or two of those guys, send a message to that one player. If it's the entire group, then still give them more than three minutes to actually go out there and prove themselves that they can actually do what you want them to do. This is a young and inexperienced team that need to play to actually gain that experience, to gain that level of trust from yourself as a coach. But if you're pulling a guy like Wendell Carter Jr. three minutes into the third quarter of a game and pulling the rest of his team out as well, what kind of message are you sending there? What kind of trust are you trying to build with this team? So... I thought it was a completely mismanaged situation, which is one was that was could have been completely avoided. The Bulls didn't need to lose by 56 points. They still would have got hammered right, most likely by the Boston Celtics. It was still going to be a 30-point loss, most likely. But even then, whilst that would have been a bad and a significant loss, it wouldn't have been the worst loss in franchise history, which is something Boylan now needs to own as a, he is the coach of a Bulls team that lost by 56 points, which I said is a franchise record. So he needs to own that. Obviously, the players need to do so as well. But I don't know where we go from here. If I'm right and Boylan has locked the loss to the locker room, then what the hell does that mean for the rest of the season? The Bulls still have 50-odd games here to go throughout the year. And if if Boylan's lost them already, after Hoiberg's already been fired for supposedly losing the, the locker room, then where do the Bulls go from here? They have no other option on the bench who can come in and replace Boylan as coach. Not that they would do that anyway. There's no chance in hell that works from a PR perspective given that John Paxson has so heavily endorsed Boylan here. Which might I add, lifting the interim tag on him straight away and I guess doing it probably most likely from a financial standpoint, that in itself may have been one of the worst decisions this front office has had throughout its tenure which is saying a lot given the amount of errors this front office group has had over the years. And like I said before, I'm not sure if it's completely on Boylan or if the management team have to own something here as well because Boylan has basically come out so hard here in his opening couple days as a coach. I I don't know where he goes from here. Post-game after that Celtics game, he had a quote where, and I'll read it if you guys haven't necessarily heard it, and spoiler alert, it does make reference to Greg Popovich, something Boylan consistently has done since getting the top job here, but his quote was, me subbing them is saving them maybe. This is about honoring the game and doing the right things. I worked for Greg Popovich. He subbed five guys a ton of times. Nobody says a word to him about it. Which is fine. That may be a fact and that may be true, but guess what, Jim Boylan? You're not exactly Greg Popovich here. You don't have the gravitas. You don't have the reputation to be throwing out five-man subs here, particularly in the start of the third quarter in the way he did there. I'm not, look, I'm not a Spurs person. I haven't watched every single Spurs game, but I'd be very surprised if Popovich was routinely making subs where he was taking out five players at a time that early in a third quarter period, maybe later in the third quarter. Obviously, he's done it in fourth quarters. But to do it so early to send a message like that to a young team, it's a pretty damn good way of losing your locker room pretty quickly. And I think that's where we're heading in this situation. Boylan is playing this tough, hard role, but he's doing it in a modern day NBA where these sorts of players don't necessarily respond to that level of coaching. And and beyond that, 
This team doesn't have a lot of veterans on it. They certainly don't have a player of the caliber of Tim Duncan on it who can accept this sort of criticism and sort of lead by his example. And if Tim Duncan type player on this Bulls team had existed and could take that sort of criticism, maybe that could fall on the shoulders of everyone else. But that player doesn't exist here. So not only did the Bulls not have someone like Tim Duncan here who could leave and be responsible for this team on and off the floor and set the, set the agenda in that case and allow the coach to get on him and therefore to get on the other players, Boylan himself just doesn't have the reputation of someone like Greg Popovich. And beyond that, this management group doesn't have the reputation that the Spurs front office does as well. And not to mention the Reinsdorfs as well, who aren't exactly the best owners going around. So I understand why he wants to implement a Spurs-like culture, but to do so here in Chicago, it doesn't seem plausible at all. Let's at least get to an average NBA level first before we want to go and be best in class like the Spurs have been for the last 20 years. It's not exactly something that you can flip the switch on overnight. And I don't think P and Paxson have read the room here in terms of how his players seem to react, how they want to be coached, how they need to be coached in this particular situation. They've gone too far in trying to be hard, trying to rebalance what Fred Hoiberg wasn't and gone too far in the opposite direction to the point where we were making jokes and making comparison to Boylan to Thibodeau, but I don't even think this is something Thibodeau would ever pull. We know he's a staunch believer in practice, but we also know that Thibodeau would never throw his players under the bus in this sense, the way Boylan has done a week into his job and... One of the things I actually loved about Tom Thibodeau was the fact that he would never make these sorts of things public. He would never undress and embarrass his players in public the way Boylan sort of has done here. We've seen Boylan question the team's conditioning levels despite him being involved with the team for the last three years. We've seen him come out here and say that this team needs to go back to basics. They need to learn the fundamentals, that they need to have all these hard practices, even though we're already two months into the season. He's losing the locker room hard and it's just not something we would ever see a Tom Thibodeau coach team ever be talked about in the media in this sense. Not to say there obviously wasn't drama between Thibodeau and the Bulls themselves, but that was more in relation to Thibodeau and management. Never did Thibodeau ever have this sort of problem with players in on this sort of this grand scale. So I don't understand why Boylan has come out this damn hard and I don't know why management have empowered him to do so, but... It's going to fail if it continues down this path. And now, with a 6-21 and record heading into a game with against the Sacramento Kings tonight, suddenly this game against the Kings on December 10 has turned into a super important game. Now, I, I'm pretty sure before this season, now depending on where you were sort of situated on the whole tank race, maybe this game was an important game for you from a losing perspective, but all of a sudden... This game against the Kings has turned into a pretty significant game for where this franchise is headed and more importantly, where this team is going to respond or how it's going to respond to its particular coach here. Because the Kings, all of a sudden, they've turned into a winning team. They were the laughing stock of the league and have sort of flipped their rebuild along here. And they've actually built a pretty good program so far, winning 13 of their 25 games. So they currently got a winning record just outside the eight in the Western Conference. And like I said before, this was a franchise that was a complete laughing stock in the NBA, had often had terrible decisions by their front office group, obviously have gone through a heap of coaches, have cycled through a number of players, so many failed draft picks, just constant drama with this franchise. But they've flipped the switch somehow and now become a winning basketball team. And all of a sudden, the Bulls, a big market team with grand hopes of being hopefully a contender at some stage in the next few years, we are now the laughing stock at the NBA.
And I know some fans will take umbrage with that comment, thinking the Kings are still the laughing stock of the NBA. And if they're not, then certainly the New York Knicks are. But the Bulls have been routinely making terrible decisions throughout the last 5-10 years. And at some point, if things don't turn around for the Bulls here, they will continue to be the laughing stock of the league. And like I said before, this game against the Kings becomes super important because they are playing a team who hasn't been an easy out. And if there's going to be a response to what has transpired over the last couple of days, we should see it against this Kings team. Now, either the players are going to come out hard here and play for their coach and send a message to everyone that everything's okay. They could even come out and play hard and send a message to Boylan to say, we can do this by ourselves. You don't need to treat us like children in this case as you did before. Or they could go the complete other way where they completely give up on their coach. And I think that's certainly in play here. So we'll see how they respond against the Kings tonight. But this has become a pretty damn crucial game in terms of where this franchise is headed. It may be a loss anyway, but how they res- the Bulls respond here is going to be super interesting. And I want to see how they do respond after what has transpired over the last couple of days. Particularly guys like Zach Levine and Jabari Parker, players who we had some sort of questions about their basketball IQ, where they sort of fit, are they coachable type players, these sorts of questions that existed about these players. I want to see how they respond in this game and I think their body language more than anything will be telling in this one. But if things go sideways and the players don't respond to Boylan here, then I'm not exactly going to be blaming him here. I think they're completely justified in their position to be walking out on their coach at this point. We've come to learn in the last couple of days that Fred Hoiberg didn't necessarily lose this locker room as Bobby Porter sort of put it. And even Jim Boylan has said it himself that he didn't think Fred lost the locker room. So we've gone away from a coach here that the Bulls players obviously respected. There've been a number of them that have gone on record saying that Fred was quite important for their game and that they loved having him around. So we've gone from that to this completely hard-ass type coach that obviously the players haven't responded to just yet and if they were ever going to, maybe that's completely jeopardized now. But if for whatever reason they are out on Jim Boylan, then I don't completely blame him in this instance because we've gone and seen something here that we don't typically see from any coach that has come in after a coach has been fired. Just think about that. Like how many assistant coaches that have you seen being promoted through a season when a coach has been fired and have actually behaved the way Jim Boylan has in this instance? I can't actually remember seeing anything take place quite like this, which is, which in that sense is very bulls-like, I guess. They're always baking ground in new, new and ridiculous ways, but I can't remember ever seeing this with any other franchise or with any other coach ever. This is, this is uncharted territories, not only for the bulls for, but for, I think for most of the league in general as well. So I don't have a complete issue here if the bulls players are completely out on boiling because I think it, in a lot of ways, it would be justified. So, I think it's more on Boylan here to win back his players, win back the trust of the team more so than the other way around where the players have to come out and show him and show the management team that they're worthy of investing in. And I think that's kind of the most ironic thing about this whole situation is Boylan was brought in here to be that hard-nosed defensive coach who brought out the spirit and passion of this team. But all of a sudden, here we are talking about another off-court drama, which is sort of testing the fan base's own spirit and passion within this basketball club. So that's the great irony in this whole thing. I'm not sure management and the coaching staff will see it the way that we as fans do, but how many more off-court dramas like this do we need to go through before we actually turn this whole thing around and actually play good competitive basketball without having all this off-court drama? I know that's what Boylan is ultimately trying to do to 
improve this team and input this Spurs-like culture, but the way he's gone about it is completely the wrong way. And like I said, this off-court drama isn't something that is routinely finding its way to this basketball team. And in some senses, this news breaking out the way it has has completely overshadowed a report that Joe Cowley had the other day as well, which mentioned that Gar Foreman was the actual one that wanted Hoiberg out of here. So it wasn't necessarily per Cowley, Hoiberg losing the locker room as to why Fred Hoiberg was kicked out of here. It was the fact that his relationship with Gar Foreman became untenable to the point where Foreman was actually the one that wanted Hoiberg out of here, which is kind of crazy to think about that Foreman is responsible for ultimately bringing Hoiberg in here. He's the one that had the relationship with Fred Hoiberg out of Iowa State, and suddenly we're now learning, apparently, as per Joe Cowley, that he was ultimately the one that wanted Fred Hoiberg out of here. And this all goes back to this 2016-17 season when the three Alphas were around. And pretty much it became a situation where, according to sources, several key players, which included Jimmy Butler and Dwayne Wade, they actually approached Fred Hoiberg during that 2016-2017 playoff season. And they basically told Fred that they didn't want Fred, uh, Gar Foreman around. And they didn't want him being part of the traveling party because they didn't trust him, which isn't too surprising, I guess. It's something that isn't completely out of the norm. We as fans don't trust Gar Foreman for a number of reasons. So why the hell would the players? And apparently, according to one player, Foreman was even trying to draw up plays for the team that looked straight out of high school, apparently. So basically what Hoiberg did in this situation, he actually took those complaints about Foreman and he went above Foreman's head, I'm presuming to either John Paxson or ownership directly, and let his players' feelings be known. Now, obviously, that's gotten back to Foreman somehow. And at that point, he wanted to get rid of Fred Hoiberg. But that obviously didn't go through. But it would appear now, as again, as per Joe Cowley, that for whatever reason, Foreman was the one who wanted to fire him in 2016-17. And now... He may have been a leading voice in getting rid of Hoiberg in this instance here. So that story, whilst it sort of lived for maybe five, six hours or so, that one got completely buried given the massive loss the Bulls sustained to the Celtics as well as all the drama that sort of transpired thereafter. So like I said, off-court drama is never very far away from this team. But I think the most disappointing thing about this whole thing is the fact that we're not that far removed from the Bulls playing a hell of a basketball game only a night earlier. Like I mentioned before, they beat the Thunder 114-112, and for those of you not aware, the Thunder are actually the best defensive team in the NBA thus far this season, and the Bulls are actually the worst offensive team as per offensive rating. So to actually go out there and beat the best defensive team in the NBA on your home floor, we should be talking about that. We should be celebrating that more. We should be celebrating the fact that Larry Markkinen looked absolutely amazing in that game. The fact that he had 24.7 rebounds obviously iced the game with that huge drive and Paul George that was the ultimately the game-winning basket. We should be talking about Larry Markin putting the ball on the floor and making and creating plays like he did in the final seconds there where he drove the ball and found Justin Holiday waiting on the three-point line as three defenders swarmed Markkinen. We should be celebrating that fact. We should be talking more about Wendell Carter Jr. having that insane defensive possession where he went up and blocked Russell Westbrook's dunk. And then when the Thunder got the offensive rebound, he again stopped Jeremy Grant at the rim with another great defensive play at the rim. These are the things we should be talking about with this rebuild. But for whatever reason, we're always talking off-court drama and it never seems to leave this team alone. And I'm 
Obviously, this sort of situation is going to keep playing itself out over the next coming days. So I'm tipping we're going to be talking about it for the next few weeks. Or maybe not next few weeks, hopefully not the next few weeks, but the next few days. So we'll see how it all plays out. But like I said a little bit earlier, this game against the Kings has suddenly become a pretty damn critical game. So we'll see how it transpires. I know I've gone on long enough here about the whole situation, but I wanted to give a bit of a rant about it because I think the players in this case, whilst their actions would have, wouldn't have been justified if they did skip on skip out on practice, I think in the end, the way they've handled themselves after being embarrassed by their coach and obviously the, the coach being endorsed in this instance by management, I'm completely supportive of the way the players have handled this. I don't think there's anything for them necessarily to answer for. So in this case, I think they're completely justified with the way they've handled it. And I'm completely opposed to the way Jim Boylan has gone about running this operation thus far. Hopefully things change for him. Hopefully it changes with the players and his relationship with the players. But thus far, I have not been impressed with the Jim Boylan era. He has sort of irked me with some of his comments in terms of how he wanted to run things generally terms of his offense and his defense, but now going above and beyond that. And like I said, I feel like he's embarrassed his players here. I'm not necessarily prepared to give this guy much more credit, even though we're only a week into this thing. Maybe it turns around and maybe that sounds silly in a week or two. But at this point, based on what we know right now, I think the way Boylan has handled this is completely terrible. I'm sure there'll be some listeners to this who completely disagree with me. They think the players are being soft and all that. But again, I go back to what I said a little bit earlier, the fact that what Boylan is asking of his team here is something that you don't typically ever see from any coach. No one practices when they've played a back-to-back and then have a game only a day after. We have to remember that Jabari Parker and Zach Levine are actually returning from ACL injuries. Larry Markkinen is just coming back from injury and he's not too far removed from a minutes restriction. We don't want to necessarily be killing these guys in practice and putting them through the rigors that we supposedly didn't want Tom Thibodeau doing with this team. But we've sort of gone back to that way and we're pushing it even further. So I I understand why some fans may think the players have been soft in this, in this instance, but I completely disagree. I support the players in this one, but like I said, we'll see how it all plays out. But hopefully this nonsense ends soon and we can get back to actually talking about the on-court product and how this team is playing on the floor. We should be talking more about that Thunder game and games like that and and the progression of these younger players. But like I said, off-court drama continuously finds its way to this Bulls team. But that just about does it for this episode of Bulls HQ. I think I've gone on long enough about this nonsense. And to be honest with you, I'm not sure how much more I could stomach talking about it. But thank you for tuning in to Bulls HQ this week. As always, you can follow the show on Twitter at Bulls HQ. Follow me at MKHoops. Jump on iTunes and give us a five-star review and even drop a comment if you've got some spare moments to do that. I greatly appreciate it. But like I said, thanks for tuning in. There's never a dull moment covering this team, mostly for the bad reasons, but hopefully the good ones are just around the corner. So here's hoping to things turning around. But, But that's it for today. Thanks for joining me and we'll talk again soon. Rose Davis, historian and co-host of the sports podcast, Burn It All Down. And now I'm hosting the new season of American Prodigy, all about Black girls in gymnastics. 
For the last 40 years, Black gymnasts have moved from the margins to the core of the sport and changed gymnastics along the way. Now, they tell their stories. You'll meet trailblazers like Diane Durham, superstars like Jordan Childs, and everyone in between. Listen to American Prodigies on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcasts.